Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Corinth Baptist Church. As always, we're glad each and every one of you are here. Are you glad to be here? Yes. <clears throat> are you glad to be here? Yes. All right, there we go. That's, that's the way it should be. Amen. I like to spend this time just kind of praising God for the stuff He's uh, uh, he's done this week. Our, uh, uh, you're going to hear from us, uh, the folks that uh, uh, were on the Celebrate Recovery uh, a trip here this week. Uh, obviously, our, uh, we've got a team in Belize right now. Uh, we want to continue praying for them and praising God for what He's already done. And our uh, kids are going to be leaving uh, right uh, at the end of our worship uh, time this morning uh, for camp. Uh, is everybody ready to be all energetic and jump around and all that stuff for the kids? Okay, all right, Miss Jeannie's lead the way there. So, so anyway, we, you know, we're not gonna, uh, we don't want the kids to get a complex. You know, we did that for the youth. So anyway, I'll, I'm gonna stand up for you guys, okay? Yeah, they're excited. They're ready to take a nap on the bus. Um, so anyway, so let's uh, let's pray and uh, we'll get on with worship. Father, we we do thank you, um, Father, for your church. We thank you, Father, that you knew us better than, than we would ever know ourselves and, and that you knew that we needed each other. You knew that we needed to, to have that time each week where we come together and, uh, and, and get refocused um, on who you are and, and who we are as your children. Um, so, Father, we just uh, we, we pray that this morning, Lord, that, um, Lord, that you just know that we love you and, Lord, even though life uh, sometimes is not real easy, Lord, we, we know that you're there, that you love us. And, and um, specifically right now, Lord, we just um, uh, we want to praise you for the things that you're doing in the life of our church and, and through us. Um, Father, I praise you personally, Lord, for the, uh, the time that I and several others got to experience in Nashville this week at this uh, Celebrate Recovery uh, conference, Lord. We, we, we just... Father, we felt like we, we got to spend a few minutes in heaven, and, um, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray right now for, um, for those that are in Belize, Lord, and um, Lord, that you'll just continue to use them in mighty ways, whether they're uh, using a paintbrush or, or, or passing out gospel tracts, loving on kids, feeding people, Lord, whatever they're doing. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to empower them for the work ahead. And Father, for... For this um, this time, these kids and and what's going to go on at camp this week, Father, we just praise you in advance. And um, Father, we just pray for your protection upon everything that we that we do from the moment that we leave this place, Lord. Um, so, Lord, today is as we've come here to worship you, Lord. We just um, we praise you for being our God. And it's in your Son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's some questions that have to be answered, and um, we're going to try to do that today. So uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, and I'll give just a couple minutes of kind of recap. We've uh, Andrew's been preaching uh, this summer through the, the book of Mark. Uh, we've not been doing it word by word for word, but taking just gems out of every chapter and, uh, and drawing out the, the truths that God wants us to, uh, to deal with right now. And uh, If you've been here and been, uh, been paying attention, you have been paying attention, right? All right, all right, you're lying. Um, <laughs> just kidding. We've heard over and over and over again that Mark is, uh, is this book that's about action. It's not so much about just what Jesus said, it's about what He did and the example that He was setting, uh, setting for us to follow. And, um, but this morning we come to a place to where um, the disciples, they've been following now for, um, for over two years. Um, they've witnessed literally countless miracles. They've witnessed just people healed from just, uh, just things that the people just don't get healed from. Uh, they've witnessed thousands uh, 
fed with just morsels, literally. We had one a few weeks ago where uh, literally over 10,000, uh, we figure, were, uh, were fed with just, a, again, just a, a few little pieces of bread and a few fish. And, and then in this chapter, this morning that we're looking at, it's not the portion that we're going to dive into, but um, 4,000 were fed once again. And, you know, and we see this picture of the disciples and, you know, and Jesus having to say, you know, don't you remember the last time? You know, and... So we get this picture of, okay, all of this has happened, all these things have happened, and now it's time. It's time for Jesus to sit down with these guys and, and have a conversation. And uh, the title of the message today is, is Making It Personal. It's as if they've been spectators through all of this. Uh, they've seen it all happen, and now it's like, all right, it, it's time for, to nail all, for me to nail all of this down. So if you will, and are, are physically able, please stand with me as uh, we're going to read Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. Mark chapter 8, 27 through 38. It says, And Jesus went on with His disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way He asked His disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this, Plainly, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, <clears throat> uh, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, you've, you're coming to us today with things that we admit that we struggle with. You're coming to us today with an opportunity for us to tell you who we think you are. You're coming to us today with, with some commands that, that if we're completely honest, we think are too harsh. So Father, today I pray that through Your Word and through this mouth that You've given me and the Holy Spirit living within me, we pray that You crack into those deep places. We pray that you break through these, these walls that we put up and that you help us to see that, that this is the best life. I pray that you, that you help each of us to see, Father, that, that this life that we've uh, we put so much energy into and so much hope in, that it's, that it's not the life that you've meant for us. Father, we're, you sent your son on a rescue mission. And he showed us how to live. He told us what to do. And, and ultimately he paid with his own life in order that we might have the power to do it. And he pointed us to a life yet to come. 
You've told us to seek first Your kingdom and Your righteousness. And then You'll take care of the rest of it. So Father, today, open our eyes. Open our hearts in order that we can see this. And be changed. Father, I thank You for what You're going to do in our midst today through the power of Your Word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I've got a question for you. I want you to think with me for a minute about the hardest question you've ever had to answer. That question that when it came... I mean, every butterfly your stomach could muster, I mean, it just, they all just, just right there that you couldn't even hardly swallow because you knew that whatever you decided was going to impact the rest of your life. Now, unfortunately, I know that it's going to be hard for you to do that. In just the next few seconds, because I know it took me literally a few hours to to come to grips with one myself. The one that God brought to my mind is one that, um, if you've been around a while and heard me preach any, I actually have talked about this once before. But it happened about 23 years ago. Um, I was in the military station down in in Texas, and um, I had just gotten orders that I was going to be uh, moved from Fort Worth, Texas to uh, Plattsburgh, New York, and I had been uh, dating this uh, amazing young lady named Kelly for about a year or so, and anyway, um, her her grandparents had played a really big part in her life and um, uh, at the time she was actually living with her grandparents and um, I remember after this news had had come down I was sitting at the kitchen table Kelly was sitting right next to me and her her granny as she was called was right across the table from me and I, I remember it like it was yesterday she leaned over the table and looked at me and said I need to know if you're going to marry this girl or not because I'm going to have to pay for the wedding. (laughs) And she's sitting right next to me. um, And I remember the only words that I could muster in that moment was, I guess. I I mean, you know, you, you didn't give me a lot of time to prepare here. I would have been really romantic. I would have done all kinds of, of things here. But I guess. And they went and bought the dress the next day. And um, <laughs> in October, that will be 23 years ago. And I, uh, I praise God for that decision. And I give her a hand, not me. But literally, that was a decision that... Uh, thank you very much, George. That was a decision that literally would have affected the rest of my life. Amen? I praise God for the fact that it was the right decision. What we find in front of us this morning is the fact that I just I picture the disciples just following Jesus, following Jesus, just man, just picking up the pieces, just trying to hang on with, with all the stuff that was going on and just dang glad to be there. You know, you know how he was kind of like the rock star everywhere he went and you know, and the disciples were his groupies, and they just got to be everywhere. And, you know, and man, they're the cool people because they got to be with Jesus. But it's as if Jesus was, and again, I, I don't want this to be that humorous, but it's as if it was Forrest Gump and he just stopped and said, Now, it's, I don't, I'm not going to walk anymore, you know, whatever. And turned around and it's, time to talk about all of this stuff. It's time to talk about everything that's happened. And, and he begins with the first question is, guys, who do, who do people say that I am? 
And of course, we get the answer here. And, you know, and Peter, uh, if you've studied the Bible much, you know, Peter was the one that, you know, he was willing to take his foot, stick it in his mouth. He didn't care. You know, but he stepped up and, and said, what did he say? Tell me. You're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, depending on what your translation is. You're the, you're the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for. Which was the right answer. But the problem is, is that the motives behind it, the understanding was wrong. So on our first point this morning, we see that there that this was kind of an unanticipated question. And the one to follow is even harder. Because it's real easy for us to answer for other people, right? If I was to ask you all right now, who does, who does everybody say that I am? You know, pointing to me personally. Y'all would have a lot to say, right? Maybe a little bit of it would be good, but you'd have a lot to say. Man, you ought to hear what so-and-so, oh man, this one lady last week, this guy over here, you, oh man, we're good at that, right? Just do this because you know you are. That's easy. All right, who do other people say that, that he is? But he stops there, and, and I believe he was just kind of setting them up. Who do you say I am? Guys, I want you to know that I have, I have been praying for almost a month since I, Andrew asked me to preach this day for us to be able to feel the weight of that question. Because all of this stuff we talked about, that this amazing things that God wants to do in your life, He wants to heal you of all your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. He wants to do that. But until you answer this question right, with the right motives, it's not available. So this morning what we've got is we, we have this unanticipated question, who do you say that I am? And then, you know, we have the, this response, you are the Christ. And then we have Jesus' definition of Peter's response. What does Peter, what, is, what does Jesus have to say right after this? He says that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Folks, this is where that motives part comes in. Peter, the disciples, all of these people that were following him, they wanted him to come into, the, into their world to show His power, to take control, to kick the Romans' butts, to set up an earthly kingdom, and they were going to be His big shots from then on. That's what, that's what they were anticipating. And the thing that, that I fear is that we're all the same. When we're faced with that question... Who do you say I am? When Jesus steps into your life, whether it be through pain and suffering or just you show up at church and you hear the message for the first time, we want Him to come in and just fix everything. We want Him to come in and, and take care of, uh, of, our, of our relationships. We want Him to come in and fix our marriage. We want Him to come in and, and fix the things that hurt our bodies. We want Him to come in and, and fix our finances. We want Him to come in and fix our children. We want to be that perfect little family that we, that we see on the postcard. And you know what? He has, that, he has that in store for each of us, but guess what? It may not all be in this life. 
It's as if we think that this book tells us that this is heaven. Jesus Himself, I mean all through the Scriptures, warns us in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome it. So what happens here is right after Peter, you know, and I can imagine Peter, you know, he's feeling pretty good about himself, right? I answered Jesus' question. You know, you're in class and, you know, this is, you know, I didn't have the answers very often at all, but when I did, man, and of course I was scared to death, man, I hope this is the right one. But Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, you know what, that's right, but it's wrong. He just started talking. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So we've got Jesus' definition of, of Peter's response, and it's not what Peter wanted to hear. And we know that because right after that, it says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So the next we see Peter's denial of Jesus' response. Peter's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no that, that's not the way this is going to happen. And it's as if he you know, puts his arm around Jesus and walks over here and says, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not supposed to die. You can do anything. We've seen it. We've been watching it for years now. You don't have to die. You can beat these guys just like you did all the rest of them. And that's we come to Him the, the very same way. Whenever He shows up in our life in a way that we don't, we don't like, we want to tell Him the very same things, don't we? But Jesus, you don't understand what I'm going through. Right? This past week, the, um, any of you familiar with the, the skit guys? Well, you've seen them up here on the screen. They're these two just amazing guys that, um, uh, well, they were high school buddies and Anyway, they're just hilarious, but they both love Jesus, and, and, and all of their humor always funnels down to this, this gospel message. And they've got this one skit that they do um, that it's just about chiseling away all of this stuff in, in our life, and it just, you know, it, this is what comes to my mind whenever we... When I read this verse and when I see, you know, Peter's response is the fact that that means that, you know, that it isn't just this perfect, you know, American dream life that he has in store for us. He's basically telling us, come fight for me and ultimately you're going to die. But guess what? You have to go through that death in order to get to the life that I have in store for you, which by the way lasts forever. And I've told you there'll be no more suffering, no more shame, none of this. All the poor choices that you've made, they'll be gone and they'll be gone for eternity. But quit focusing on this life. In this skit, he's just, you know, he's got a, a hammer in his hand and a chisel and, and you've got this guy standing there and he, he's saying, I want this and I want that, but then when he starts chiseling, when the pain starts to happen, we don't want it anymore, do we? And ultimately, that's what... That's what we're hearing here today. And our biggest problem is, folks, is that when we hear this, get behind me, Satan, for you are not serving your... What did he say? It says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's who we are, Right? We get up every morning and what's, what's the thoughts that are in our mind? You know, what have I got to do today? You know, whether it's going to work, whether it's going to school, um, you know, whatever it may be. 
the problems that we have is the fact that, that we get up and we perform and we do not because of who God is, but we do it because we don't want to disappoint anybody around us. We don't want anybody around us to know that we've got problems. Don't know if you know it or not, but there's a term for that, and it's called codependency. Jesus says your focus is in the wrong place. Your focus is on yourself, it's on your own personal comfort. Your focus is on making everybody around you happy so that they'll like you. And he's telling us that that's not the point. And to us it sounds unfair, it sounds cruel, it sounds ruthless. But the problem is, guys, is that this is, this is the life that, you know, this is the, the world that we created and it all happened that moment that we ate that piece of fruit and started walking away from God. It says in the beginning... you. You read the first couple of chapters of the Bible and it says that He made it what? Good. We deal with what we deal with because of what we've done, not because of what He's done. And He sent His own Son to right the wrongs that we could never right. So we found a question, right? Jesus says, Who do you say I am? Peter answered the question correctly, but with the wrong motives. Jesus has given us the definition of Peter's response. Peter has denied his response. Then Jesus has denied Peter. So is there anything in there for us to learn? I mean, who do you say he is? And are you looking for him... Are you looking to, to become a part of his, of his army? Are you looking to join this country club that he set up? And I know that these words seem harsh, but they seem harsh because of how far we have leaned to the wrong side. And how long it's been happening. And we look at it as if that, that that's, that's the, the hardest life. That's, that's not a life I want. But those who, who ultimately choose that life, they'll tell you they'd never go back. They'll tell you that they found real joy there. They, they'll tell you that that hole that they had been living with inside of them got filled. Even though they became the weird person because of it. So now after Jesus gets past this question, explaining the real answer to the question and rebuking those who would come at Him with any other response, He begins to teach them. He sets up these, this set of unbelievable commands. And in your outline, if you have to have all your fill-ins, I'll go ahead and give you the ones for this. And it's, you know, you're going to sense some sarcasm from me because it's, that's what it is. Because when we, when we begin reading these verses, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Those three fill-ins are just simply deny who? Pick up what? And you mean I have to lose in order to win? I mean, guys, this is just 100% contrary to the American way, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, deny myself. No, no, I'm supposed to pick myself up, and I'll use Andrew's words, by my own bootstraps, right? Which I got a pair of boots right now that my dog chewed the straps off, and man, it really makes it hard to get them on. But anyway, that, that was a bonus. She didn't pay for that one. But deny myself. I mean, no, I'm supposed to go after it, right? 
I'm supposed to work harder and do more. And, you know, it's not about denying myself. It's about getting for myself. That's the opportunity that we have in America, right? But he says here that I'm to deny myself. That if I would deny myself, then he says I'm supposed to take up my cross. And I want you to feel for a minute that, I mean, the blows just keep coming. I mean, Peter has just been told that he's acting like Satan. And now he's told him to deny himself. Everything that, that you think you want from me, you're wrong. And now he said, pick up your cross. These guys knew what it meant to pick up their cross. Okay? They knew that that meant first... Well, first of all, has anybody... You've seen the movie The Passion? Okay, that's probably kind of, sort of, not all the way there in how harsh it really was. I mean, these guys were just ruthless. I mean, they lived for carnage. So, I mean, this beating that you took first, I mean, it's beyond imagination. And again, it's, it's why Jesus literally sweated blood the night before knowing He had that and the, the weight of the sin of the whole world coming upon Him. But he went through that beating, so they, they knew that that was the first piece. This beating that you're going to have to take. And then the next is, is that this cross is going to be strapped on your back. And by the way, you've got you've to carry it about a mile up to the place to where they're going to nail you to it. And then they're going to hang it up in the air and just wait and let you die. So, I mean, we have here, he said, and he said these things plainly. So... You've got to believe that at this point that they're like, holy, what are you talking about? This is the life you want for me? And the key is, guys, is that we have the rest of the story, right? We know that he didn't just sit there and tell them to do it and then go sit in his easy chair. He did it himself. He paid the price that, that we could never pay. And he told these disciples in other places that, yeah, you're going to have to suffer the same type of death. So we end up in a place to where we've got an unmistakable choice that we've got to make. Because Jesus does, just doesn't throw it out there and, and just leave it hanging. He says in verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Folks, this past week, um, we had a a video of it that uh, we weren't able to pull down, but the very last service that we were a part of, and, and you've got to imagine this huge church, and I mean, you know, over 3,000 people and just packed out, and, and we've just been through just a, you know, an, an emotional high all three days, just amazing worship, just amazing teaching, encouragement, and we come to this last service before we're, we're getting ready to leave, and the man John Baker that, that started this this ministry back in 1991, he just kind of quietly stands up and says, it's been awesome, hadn't it? And of course the whole place just erupts, it had been awesome. I mean literally the only way I can describe it is, I, you know, you just, you just hope that heaven something like that. And he says, you know, you've gotten a lot of teaching, you've got a lot of training, you're excited, you can't wait to get back, but but you can't be who God's called you to be. You can't do the things that you want to do until you deal with your own stuff. And we were all were handed this little card, and, and we were just challenged to, you know, what are you still dealing with? You know, what kind of, what kind of stuff is going on in your life? And, and obviously, I mean, in that moment, you're pretty tender and sensitive to the Spirit, and I mean, my pen just started writing, and... But I can remember, obviously, just reflecting on this verse that 
There's been a lot of times in my life that I have been ashamed of. I found myself in situations to where I did not, I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be the weird one. But I want you to know that that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking to the person that just, that every now and then finds himself in a situation and you just blow it. You, you knew you had an opportunity to witness to somebody and you didn't do it. You got in your car and went home. What he's talking about is the person who that's all they do. The person who has never, who has never taken the responsibility of actually being a believer in Jesus Christ and sharing the message with someone else. If you're sitting here today and you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, which I hope all of you are, somebody shared that message with you, right? Right? And we're given the same responsibility. So the one he's talking to is the one that has never embraced that. And his words are final. He's saying in that moment when you either die in your body or, or, or Christ returns and you stand before me in that moment that you're hoping, you're hoping that you get to go to heaven instead of hell, he's going to say, you, you are ashamed of me. So now I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father. He's going to say, I never knew you. Folks, I've already told you, I have prayed and prayed and prayed that we would get the gravity of this question that we would get the fact that when He tells us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him, that He's not being mean to us. He's not being this heavy-handed, I hate you, God. He knows what His purpose and plan is for our life. He knows what His purpose and plan is for eternity, and, and praise God, He's included us in that. He's saying, I have called you to be a warrior of mine. I've given you what you need to do it. Now get up off of your butt and do it. So what does that look like for us? I've got a story here real quick that I want to close with. It says, On the morning of September 11th, Jeannie Brock, I switched on the television to, to check the weather report, only to hear that a plane had just hit the World Trade Center. Jeannie's husband, Al, worked as a corporate bond trader for Cantor Fitzgerald. His office was on the 105th floor of Tower One. Al had survived the World Trade Center bombing in 1993 and had even helped a woman with asthma escape from the building. Jeannie knew that Al would do the same thing this time. I knew he would stop to help and minister to people, she said, but I never thought for a minute that he wouldn't be coming home. A week later, like so many others who were in that building, Al's body was found in the rubble. Al's wife, Jeannie, and his son, Christopher, were devastated. Then the reports began to trickle in from friends and acquaintances. Some people on the 105th floor had made a last call or sent a final email to loved ones saying that a man was leading people in prayer. A few even referred to Al by name. Al's family learned that Al had indeed been ministering to people during the attack. When Al realized that they were all trapped in the building and would not be able to escape, Al shared the gospel with a group of 50 co-workers and led them in prayer. This news came as no surprise to Al's wife, Jeannie. For, for years, she and Al had been praying for the salvation of these men and women, according to Jeannie. Al hated his job and couldn't stand the environment. It was a world so out of touch with his Christian values, but he wouldn't quit. Al was convinced that God wanted him to stay there, to be a light in the darkness, and although Al would not have put it this way, he was a hero. Al was not ashamed of Christ and Christ's words. And he paid the price of taking up his cross daily. 
Al shared his faith with his co-workers, many of whom sarcastically nicknamed him the Rev. And on that fateful day on September 11th, in the midst of the chaos, Al's co-workers looked at him, looked to him, and Al delivered. At the same time, Al too tried to get a phone call through to his family. He asked an MCI operator to contact his family. He said, tell them that I love them. It took the operator more than a month to reach the Brockas, but the message brought them much-needed comfort. The last thing my dad did involved the two things most important to him, God and his family. His son Christopher told a writer for Focus on the Family, he loved to lead people to Christ. And he says that takes away a lot of the hurt and the pain. Folks, this is what we're talking about. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's simply telling us that you're to be my messengers. You're to be the one that's sharing this message with others. And he's warning us that, that people are not, some people are not going to like it. Some people are going to, they're going to be cruel. They're going to be mean. They're going to be all kinds of things. But he gave us a few words to help us with that as he's hanging on the cross, pierced, bruised, beaten, and about to die. He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if you really know the truth, and the truth, as it says, has set you free, you're a warrior. God has called you to be His disciples. He said, you go tell the message, but by the way, I'm not going to let you be blind about it. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be hard. And if you try to live this life just always focusing on what you want and what you need, you're not going to get it. You've got to focus on the needs of others. And then, by the way, I'll take care of your needs and do it better than you ever could have in this life and obviously in the one to come. So this is not a heavy-handed, you know, I hate you. This is a, I love you, but I have a purpose for you. The reward, yeah, we get some of it here, but we've got an eternity waiting for So the question at hand is, okay, how do I do it? How do I go from the place where I am right now to, to being able to do this? I'm going to read something to you right now, and, this, and then we're going to pray. These eight principles I have committed the rest of my life to communicating them to others and to living by them best as I can with God's help. Principle one, realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to, to do the wrong thing and my life is unmanageable. Principle two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him and that He has the power to help me. Principle three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Principle four, openly examine and confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. Principle number five, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. Principle number six, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others except when to do so would harm them or others. Principle seven, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life and to gain the power to follow His will. And finally, principle eight, to yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Folks, these are the eight principles of Celebrate Recovery. And that's why this... This ministry is not one of just attracting drug addicts and alcoholics. It's for anyone who's walking around with hurt. Anyone who's walking around constantly feeling guilty because you're not doing, you know you're not doing what God's called you to do. It's a safe place for you to show up and express that stuff and get people to gather around you to help you. So obviously I would love it for all of you to show up Monday. 
Seriously, you're all coming, right? When we first were told we had to go through this before we could start this program, you've heard me say it already that I thought that, hey, I'm just going to go through this in order that I can help other people. I had no idea what God had in store for me and the deep places that he wanted to take me and those who were around me. And I'm, and I'm just thankful for it. And So guys, God loves you. If you got any questions about that, just read the book. He sent his son to die because he loved you that much, but you've got to answer the question, who is he to you? And then you've got to realize that he's called you to come and fight in this battle. But man, one of these days, uh, celebrate recovery at the, uh, at the end of, of testimonies. You'll hear people talk about, thank you for letting me share, and then that they're speaking to their forever family. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Now, I know some of you are, you know, looking, man, I don't want that person to be in my forever family. But remember, remember, God's going to heal all of that. So this morning, um, I hope you've seen that these words of Jesus are simply an invitation. So as we come to this point in this service, this is your invitation. This is your opportunity to answer that question. So some of you may need to say, I've never really answered that question correctly. And I'm going to be here and there'll be others in this room that can help you with that. And literally, you need to, you need to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And we would love to help you with that. But the majority, you need to just simply do business with God. You need to tell Him that you've been ashamed of Him. You need to tell Him that you've not done what he's called you to do and then ask him to give you the courage and the power that you need to do it obviously these places are open these chairs are in the front for a reason and yes you can do it in the place where you're at but he says don't be ashamed of me do not be ashamed of me and our biggest issue the reason we sit in these seats and we stand in our place and we don't act every single week is because we're afraid of what somebody else is going to think and that's yet one more time that you're showing that you're ashamed of him. So don't do that anymore. And I want to finish with, with the prayer that we pray every single week. And I want you to pray it with me. It's going to be here up on the screen, hopefully. All right. Just follow me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it to be, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you've not left us unaware. I thank you, Father, that, that you have asked us the question and that you've given us the opportunity to say that you are the Christ. And I thank you this morning for your word that is that has shown us that this doesn't mean you're going to take care of everything in this life because this is not the life you have for us. Father, help us to see that you have a purpose and a plan to live out through each of us, that we are to be your messengers to others to share the good news of what you've done in dying for us. So, Father, I just pray that if there are those in this room right now who have struggled with whether they ever really made that decision or not, I pray that today be the day they do it. And for the rest of us, Father, I pray that we reflect on the fact that we have been ashamed of you so many times. We have chosen this world over the one that the kingdom that you have in store for us so many times. But Father, we thank you that your word tells us that if we come to you, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and that you will forgive us our sins and restore us from all unrighteousness. Father, those are your words to us. So help us to stand on them today. So Lord, we just 
We give you all the praise and the glory because you paid the price. You paved the way for all of us. So now, Father, help us to not be afraid. Give us courage to make the decisions that we know we need to make, to confess the things we need to confess in order that we can be the people you've called us to be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, folks, this is your time. Grant's going to come and play a song for us. I can't tell you how bad I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. I can't tell you how bad that I want it for you. But you have to answer it yourself. Who is he to you? Well, I'm sorry I kept you 15 minutes over, but I don't get to preach very often, so I have to just kind of let it all out. So anyway, I've got some big-time chuckles in the back. Folks, this question is always there. That's the great thing about our Lord and Savior is the fact that He never leaves us. He's always there until your last breath. He's there waiting for you to answer that question and then to take up your cross and to follow Him. To deny this world. Do the things that He's called us to do and then we get to experience that, that hole being filled up for now for eternity. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for what you did in our midst today. We thank you for your word. Just give us the courage we need to leave this place, Lord, and to do what you called us to do. To pick up that cross, whatever it looks like, to deny this world and, and all the lives that it has for us. Father, we just we can't do it without you. Help us. And we'll give you the praise and glory that you and you alone deserve. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray.